The Earth's Relationship to Solar Cycles As the Earth rotates daily on its axis, every morning the sun brings light to the darkness, warmth and comfort to the chill of night, photosynthesis to plants and security to humans. It's for this reason that as far back as 14,000 BCE, adoration of the sun has been sketched onto stone tablets and cave walls. Countless mythologies, including civilizations in ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, the Mayans and the Aztecs, and the Australian Aborigines, to name just a few, have extolled the sun as worthy of worship, as well as a source of enlightenment, illumination and wisdom. No matter the location, most cultures have recognized the sun as the prime controller of all life on earth, because without it, life here could not exist. For the most part, humans are electromagnetic beings, entities that constantly send and receive messages via vibrational energies, whose bodies are made up of gravitationally organized light and information. In fact, everything material in this three-dimensional world is gravitationally organized light and information. Just as we are individual electromagnetic beings, we are but a small link in the chain of an electromagnetic world, the individual parts of which cannot be separated from the whole. On a grand scale, it is impossible to deny the interconnectivity between the sun's energy, the earth's energy, and the energy of all living species. On a micro level, all you have to do is look at the life cycle of a fruit or vegetable to understand this interdependence. The vegetable or fruit begins as a seed when environmental conditions such as water, temperature, nutrient-rich soil, and photosynthesis conspire. These conditions enable the seed to germinate. Eventually, the blossom of the seed becomes an integral part of an ecosystem, as well as the source of sustenance and nourishment for various forms of life. This complex chain and delicate balance of events all begins with the Earth's uniquely situated location in our solar system. Known as the circumstellar habitable zone, this is a range of orbital distance around a star, our Sun, in which a planet can support liquid water. While the Sun may be almost 93 million miles away, when it becomes active it has significant consequences to life on Earth because the Earth and the Sun are related by electromagnetic fields. The purpose of the Earth's electromagnetic field, see figure 13.1, is to protect it from the harmful effects of solar radiation and sunspots, cosmic rays, and other forms of space weather. Although not totally understood, sunspots are relatively dark, cool areas of the Sun, caused by interactions within the Sun's magnetic field. They can be up to 32,000 miles in diameter. You can think of sunspots as a cap on a seltzer bottle. If you shake the bottle and then remove the cap, it's going to produce a large release of photons, light, and other forms of high-frequency radiation. If it were not for the protection and insulation of Earth's electromagnetic fields, life as we know it could not exist for we would be constantly bombarded by a steady stream of deadly particles. For example, when there are solar flares, 
The Earth's electromagnetic field protects the planet by deflecting trillions of tons of photonic emissions called mass coronal ejections. Mass coronal ejections are huge explosions of plasma and magnetic fields from the sun's corona that can extend millions of miles into space. Their effects tend to reach the Earth an average of 24 to 36 hours after they occur. These ejections compress the Earth's field, heating the Earth's iron core. As this core becomes altered, it changes the planet's electromagnetic field. These ejections are part of solar cycles that occur approximately every 11 years, and they have the potential to disturb all living organisms on Earth. The recording of solar cycles began in 1755, but in 1915 an 18-year-old Russian boy named Alexander Chizhevsky took mankind's understanding of the sun and its relation to the Earth to the next level when he spent his summer observing our sun. During that summer he began hypothesizing that periods of solar activity might have effects on the organic world. A year later he entered World War I, and when not fighting for Russia, he again cast his observations towards the sun. He noticed in particular that battles tended to wax or wane depending on the strength of solar flares. See graphic 14 in the color insert. Chizhevsky later compiled the histories of 72 countries from 1749 to 1926, comparing the annual number of important political and social events such as the start of wars, revolutions, outbreaks of diseases and violence, with increased solar activity, demonstrating a correlation between the sun's activity and human excitability. Equally interesting, solar activity has also been associated with great human flourishing, including innovations in architecture, science, the arts and social change. Every place where you see the red line spiking in the graphic represents an active solar flare or sunspot that occurred between the years 1750 and 1922. The blue lines represent historically important events that took place within the same period. Chizhevsky eventually determined that 80% of these countries' most significant events occurred during solar events and geomagnetic activity. The solar release of energy, which is always carrying information, seems to be in almost perfect coherence with the activities, the energy, and the consciousness of our planet. It just so happens that at the time of this writing, in 2017, we are in the midst of a very active solar cycle. In the past decade, much has been said about how this solar energy is affecting the planet and all of life that inhabits it. In 2012, doomsayers thought the end of the Mayan calendar, which correlates to the December solstice, meant the end of the world was at hand. Today, astrologers talk about the age of Aquarius. An astrological age is a period consisting of approximately 2,150 years that corresponds to the average time it takes for the vernal equinox to move from one constellation of the zodiac into the next, and how it will usher in a new awareness for humanity. Astronomers and cosmologists talk about galactic alignment, a rare 
astronomical event occurring every 12,960 years that brings the Sun into alignment with the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Regardless of what you believe, all of these occurrences point to solar cycles that increase the energy coming toward the Earth from the Sun. Since we are electromagnetic beings connected to the Earth through electromagnetic fields and shielded from the Sun by electromagnetic fields, this increase in energy from the Sun is going to change both the energy of the Earth and our personal energy. This means that this new energy has the potential to influence human beings in either positive or negative ways, depending on our individual energy. For example, if you are feeling separation, living by survival emotions and enslaved to the hormones and chemicals of stress, your brain and heart are going to fire incoherently. This will cause your energy and awareness to become divided and out of balance and the increase in energy from the sun is going to enhance that state of being. Therefore, if you are living in incoherence, that incoherence is going to become amplified. By the same means, if you are living in the coherent alignment of head and heart, working daily in your meditations to connect to the unified field, and to overcome your limited beliefs and attitudes, you are going to be propelled even further into the truth and understanding of who you are and what your purpose is. The bottom line is that we are in the midst of an initiation and it is going to take a tremendous amount of will, awareness and consciousness to stay focused so as not to succumb to these excitable energies. If we can maintain our focus, then instead of being victims of the uncertainty, we can transmute this energy into greater degrees of orderliness, coherence, and even peace, both personally and globally. In the simplest terms, this energy is going to endorse who you are being, that is, how you are thinking and feeling. The Schumann Resonance In 1952, German physicist and professor W. O. Schumann hypothesized that there were measurable electromagnetic waves in the atmosphere in the cavity or space between the Earth's surface and the ionosphere. According to NASA, the ionosphere is an abundant layer of electrons, ionized atoms and molecules that stretches from approximately 30 miles above the surface of the Earth to the edge of space, about 600 miles up. This dynamic region grows and shrinks, and further divides into subregions, based on solar conditions, and it's a critical link in the chain of Sun-Earth interactions. It's this celestial power station that makes radio communications possible. In 1954, Schumann and H. L. Koenig confirmed Schumann's hypothesis by detecting resonances at a main frequency of 7.83 Hz. Thus the Schumann resonance was established by measuring global electromagnetic resonances generated and excited by lightning discharges in the ionosphere. You can think of this frequency as a tuning fork for life. In other words, it acts as a background frequency influencing the biological circuitry of the mammalian brain.
the subconscious brain below the neocortex, which is also the home of the autonomic nervous system. The Schumann frequency affects our body's balance, health, and very nature as mammals. In fact, the absence of the Schumann resonance can cause serious mental and physical health issues in the human body. This was demonstrated through research by German scientist Rutger Weaver from the Max Planck Institute for Behavioral Physiology in Erling Andex, Germany. In the study, he took young, healthy student volunteers for four weeks at a time and placed them in hermetically sealed underground bunkers that screened out the Schumann frequency. Throughout the four weeks, the students' circadian rhythms changed, causing them to suffer emotional distress and migraine headaches. When Weaver introduced the Schumann frequency back into the bunkers, after only a brief exposure to 7.83 Hz, the volunteers' health returned to normal. As far back as we know, the Earth's electromagnetic field has been protecting and supporting all living things with this natural frequency pulsation of 7.83 Hz. You can think of the Schumann resonance as the Earth's heartbeat. The ancient Indian rishis referred to this as OM, or the incarnation of pure sound. Whether by coincidence or not, 7.83 Hz also happens to be a very powerful frequency used with brainwave entrainment, as is associated with low levels of alpha and the upper ranges of theta brainwave states. It is this range of brainwaves that allows us to get beyond the analytical mind and into the subconscious, Thus, this frequency has also been associated with high levels of suggestibility, meditation, increased human growth hormone levels, and increased cerebral blood flow levels. It appears then that the Earth's frequency and the brain's frequency have very similar resonances, and that our nervous system can be influenced by the Earth's electromagnetic field. Perhaps this is why getting out of the city and into nature often provides such a calming effect. The Concept of Emergence In 1996, researchers at the HeartMath Institute discovered that when an individual's heart is in a state of coherence or harmonious rhythm, it radiates a more coherent electromagnetic signal into the environment, and that this signal can be detected by the nervous systems of other people as well as animals. In fact, as you know by now, the heart generates the strongest magnetic field in the body, and it can be measured several feet away. This provides a credible explanation for the fact that when someone walks into a room, you can feel or sense that individual's mood or emotional state, independent of their body language. From a purely scientific standpoint, we can then ask, if this phenomenon works on an individual level, can it work on a global level? In 2008, more than a decade later, the HeartMath Institute launched the Global Coherence Initiative, GCI, a science-based international effort that seeks to help activate the heart of humanity to promote peace, harmony, and a shift in global consciousness. GCI is based on the beliefs that 
1. Human health, thoughts, behaviors, and emotions are influenced by solar, geomagnetic, the Earth's magnetic field, activity. 2. The Earth's magnetic field is a carrier of biologically relevant information that connects all living systems. 3. All human beings influence the Earth's electromagnetic field of vital information. 4. Collective human consciousness where large numbers of people are intentionally focused on heart-centered states creates or affects the global information field. Therefore, elevated emotions of care, love and peace can generate a more coherent field environment that can benefit others and help offset the current planetary discord and incoherence. Because human heart rhythm and brain frequencies, as well as cardiovascular and autonomic nervous systems, overlap with the Earth's resonance field, GCI scientists suggest we are part of a biological feedback loop in which we not only receive relevant biological information from the field, but we also feed information into this field. In other words, human thoughts, consciousness, and emotions, energy, interact with and encode this information into the Earth's magnetic field, and this information is then distributed on carrier waves, a signal on which the information is impressed or carried, around the globe. To further their research and test this hypothesis, using state-of-the-art sensors located in various locations around the globe, the HeartMath Institute created the Global Coherence Monitoring System, GCMS, to observe changes in the Earth's magnetic field. Designed to measure global coherence, the GCMS uses a system of highly sensitive magnetometers to continuously measure magnetic signals that occur in the same range as human physiological frequencies, including our brain and cardiovascular systems. They also continuously monitor activity caused by solar storms, flares, and solar wind speed activity resulting from solar storms, disruptions of the human resonances, and potentially the signatures of major global events that have a strong emotional component. Why are they doing this, and what does it point to? If you can intentionally create a coherent electromagnetic field around your body and you are related or connected to someone in your life who is also intentionally creating an electromagnetic field around their body, the waves of this shared field would begin to synchronize in a non-local way. As the waves from both individuals synchronize, they generate bigger waves and stronger magnetic fields around you connecting you to the Earth's electromagnetic field with an increased field of influence. If we could create a community of people scattered all over the world with each individual intentionally raising the energy of their own personal field toward greater peace, isn't it possible that this community could begin to produce a global effect within the Earth's electromagnetic field? This intentional community could then create coherence where there is incoherence and order where there has been disorder. 
The evidence from peace-gathering studies suggests that our thoughts and feelings do in fact have a measurable effect on every living system. You may have heard of this as the concept of emergence. Envision the synchronicity of a school of fish or a flock of birds flying in unison, where all creatures appear to be operating from one mind, connected by an invisible field of energy in a non-local way. What is unique about this phenomenon is that it is not a top-down phenomenon, meaning there is no leader. Instead, it is a bottom-up phenomenon, meaning everyone is leading because they are acting as one mind. When a global community comes together in the name of peace, love and coherence, according to emergence, we should be able to produce an effect in the Earth's electromagnetic field as well as in each other's fields. Just imagine, then, what it would be like if we were all behaving, living, thriving and operating as one. If we understood we were of one mind, one organism connected and united through consciousness, we would understand that to hurt another or affect another in any way is to do the same to ourselves. This new paradigm in thinking would be the largest evolutionary leap our species has ever made, causing the need for warring, fighting, competing, fearing and suffering to become an antiquated concept. But how could this possibility become a reality? Coherence versus Incoherence in order for us to create some type of effect in the Earth's field, which in turn can influence another individual's field, as you might guess, we have to activate two significant centers in the human body, the heart and the brain. As we learned in Chapter 4, while the brain is of course the center of consciousness and awareness, the heart, the center of oneness, wholeness and our connection to the unified field, has its own brain. When people can regulate their internal states of care, kindness, peace, love, gratitude, thankfulness and appreciation, as their hearts become more coherent and balanced, they send a very strong signal to the brain, causing the brain to become more coherent and balanced. This is because the heart and the brain are in continuous communication with each other. By the same means, once someone moves beyond the association to their body, their environment and time, and takes their attention off matter and objects, they become no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time. As you well understand by now, when they get beyond themselves and put their awareness on the immaterial world of energy, they connect to the unified field, the place where there's no longer separation between any body anyone, anything, and anywhere, in any time. This causes them to unify with the consciousness of everybody, everyone, everything, and everywhere, in every time. As a consciousness, they have now entered the quantum field of energy and information, the place where consciousness and energy can influence the material world in non-local ways. The side effect of this process is that it creates more coherence in the brain and in our energy, so our biology becomes more whole. 
In our research, we found that when the brain becomes more coherent, it affects the autonomic nervous system and the heart. The heart, our connection to the unified field, then acts like a catalyst to amplify the process of coherence back into the brain. Because the heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart, the more coherence you can achieve through the elevated emotions of the heart, the more the brain and the heart synchronize. This synchronization produces measurable effects not only within the body, but also within the electromagnetic field surrounding the body. And the bigger the field we produce around our body, the more we can affect others in a non-local way. How do we know this? Because we've seen this over and over in our students' HRV measurements. Evidence of the influence of the heart's electromagnetic field upon the field of another's heart can also be seen in a heart math study in which 40 participants were divided into groups of four around 10 card tables. While the heart rhythms of all four participants at the table were being measured, only three people were trained to raise their emotions through heart math techniques. When the three trained participants raised their energy and sent positive feelings to the untrained participant, that person also went into higher states of coherence. The authors of the study concluded that evidence of heart-to-heart -heart synchronization across subjects was found, which lends credence to the possibility of heart-to-heart -heart biocommunications. Key to the process of coherence is getting beyond the analytical mind. We know this because we've measured it enough times in the brain scans of our students. Their participation has also demonstrated that with enough practice, coherence can be achieved in a relatively short amount of time. When the thinking brain is quieted, it moves into alpha or theta brainwave states, and this opens the doorway between the conscious and subconscious mind. The autonomic nervous system then becomes more receptive to information. By raising our energy through the feelings of elevated emotions, we become less matter and more energy, less particle and more wave. The bigger the field we can create with these energies, as energy, awareness and consciousness, the more we can influence others in a non-local way. The greater energy you can create through the elevated emotions of the heart, the more you're going to connect with the unified field which means you're going to experience more wholeness, connection, and oneness. But you can't experience that connection when you're incoherent, feeling separate, or living by the hormones of stress. When the chemicals released during stress rouse the brain, we feel disconnected from the unified field, and we tend to make less evolved choices. We know without a doubt that the emotions of competition, fear, anger, unworthiness, guilt and shame keep us separate from one another because they produce slower and lower frequencies than elevated emotions like love, gratitude, care and kindness, which produce faster and higher frequencies. We also know that the faster the frequency, the more energy is present. This prompted us to ask several questions. What if we assembled a community of several hundred people in one room, had them open their hearts, 
and generate elevated energetic states, and then ask them to send the intention for the greatest good of a select group of people gathered in the same room. What would happen if the electromagnetic field around each person's body merged with the field of the person sitting next to them? Could those elevated emotional states then begin to produce a change in energy in the room? Is it possible that everybody experiencing elevated emotions and energy could begin to create coherence within a community? Building a Collective Coherent Field Since early 2013, we've partnered with our friends at the HeartMath Institute to further our research. Since we began measuring our students' physiological states, we've scanned thousands of brains and hearts, resulting in a significant amount of information. We have been overwhelmed and mystified by some of the data we've collected when common people start doing the uncommon. Over the course of this journey, in collaboration with HeartMath, we've witnessed amazing measurements in our students. We've taken equally amazing measurements of the collective energy in the rooms where our students have gathered, measurements that show consistent daily increases in energy using a sophisticated sensor from Russia called Sputnik, mentioned briefly in Chapter 2. Since elevated emotions related to the activity of the autonomic nervous system produce electromagnetic fields, increasing those emotions results in changes in blood microcirculation, perspiration, and other functions of the body. Because Sputnik is so sensitive, it can quantify environmental fluctuations by measuring barometric shifts, relative humidity, air temperature, electromagnetic fields, and more. Take a look at graphics 15A and 15B in the color insert. In these measurements from our workshops, you can see a trend that demonstrates an increase in the collective energy of the room. The first line in red is our baseline measurement and shows the room's energy before the start of the event. As you look at the red, blue, green, and finally the brown lines, each color representing a different day, you can see that each day the energy steadily increases. In graphics 15C and 15D, the same color scale applies. However, these measurements reflect specific time intervals during each day's morning meditations. This means our students are getting better at raising the energy of the room by creating more unified coherence. The Sputnik readings demonstrate that the collective energy created by our students from the first day of the workshop to the final day consistently makes incremental increases. Within that trend, we've found that most groups are extremely focused and the energy rises every day. About one quarter of the time, the energy stays relatively the same for the first day or two, but in the following days, the energy increases significantly. We believe this is because during the first day or two, the group is working on overcoming themselves by breaking the energetic emotional bonds that keep them connected to their past-present reality. So during this time, 
They are drawing from the unified field to build their own personal electromagnetic fields. This siphoning from the field tends to cause the collective energy in the room to drop. But once those individual fields become greater, more enhanced and coherent, they entrain to one another, which is when we tend to see dramatic increases in the energy of the room. Figure 13.2 shows that when two coherent waves come together, they create a bigger wave. This is called constructive interference. The bigger the wave, the higher the amplitude of energy. As a result of our students' more coherent waves coming together during our workshops, the energy of the group field increases, and then there's more energy to heal and to create or access greater levels of mind, which can sometimes lead to mystical experiences. My team and I have been consistently humbled by our students' profound healings, their ability to increase and regulate elevated states, and their reports of mystical experiences or acute insights into their lives as a result of learning how to regulate their brainwaves, open their hearts, and go into coherence. Some of these occurrences could be labelled as miracles, but we believe it's just a part of the process of becoming supernatural. This led us to wonder if our students could affect the nervous systems of others, and if so, what the implications of that would be. These questions would spark the birth of Project Coherence. Project Coherence in collaboration with the HeartMath Institute, we performed numerous experiments whereby we took a small, random sampling of about 50 to 75 people at our advanced workshops, attached HRV monitors to their chests, and placed them in the front row of the room for three meditations over the course of 24 hours. Since HRV not only provides insight into the coherence of the heart, but also gives us information about the brain and emotions, we wanted to measure subjects HRV for a full 24 hours. To start the meditation, everyone in the room placed their attention on their heart center and began breathing through this center slowly and deeply, as you learn to do in Chapter 7. Next, they cultivated and sustained an elevated emotion for two to three minutes broadening their heart's electromagnetic fields and moving from a state of selfishness to a state of selflessness. Then we had the collective of 550 to 1500 students broadcast the energy of their elevated emotions beyond their body into the space of the entire room. Next we had them lay the intentional thought in that frequency for the greatest good of the students sitting in the front of the room wearing the HRV monitors, that their lives be enriched, their bodies be healed, and mystical experiences find them. Our goal was to measure the collective energy in the room and its potential non-local effect on the people wearing the HRV monitors. Could those elevated levels of energy and frequency in the form of love, gratitude, wholeness and joy cause another person's heart to go into coherence, even if they were on the other side of the room? 
our results confirmed our hypotheses. Not only did the broadcast energy produce a coherent effect on the people wearing the HRV monitors, but each of their hearts went into coherence at the exact same time, in the exact same meditation, on the exact same day. And this was not a one-time occurrence. We repeatedly found consistent results across our events. What does this mean? Our data supports the HeartMath Global Coherence Initiative's belief that an invisible field exists upon which information is communicated. This field links and influences all living systems, as well as our collective human consciousness. Because of this field, information is communicated non-locally between people at a subconscious level through the autonomic nervous system. In other words, we are bound and connected by an invisible field of energy, and this energy field can affect everyone's behaviors, emotional states, and conscious and unconscious thoughts. Because all frequency carries information, the magnetic fields produced in the hearts of the student body acted as carrier waves for this information. If at our workshops we can produce non-local effects on others, shouldn't our elevated, heart-centered emotions be able to produce non-local effects on our children, partners, co-workers, or anyone we have a relationship or share a connection with? If you look at figure 13.3, you notice 17 people going into heart coherence at the exact same time, on the exact same day, during the exact same meditation. All of these students who went into heart coherence were being entrained by the energy of others. The students sending the energy embraced the intention for the greatest good of those people wearing the heart rate monitors. The results show that when we get out of our own way, we can become one mind and non-locally connect to one another. Through that connection, we can influence the autonomic nervous system of others so they will feel more balanced, coherent and whole. Imagine what could happen if you had thousands of people all doing the same for the entire world. Shortly after these global meditation events, our students began sending us emails asking that since we showed that we could indeed create a measurable change in the energy of a room where 550 to 1500 people were gathered, could we then produce the same effect on a global scale? So it was our students who requested we organize global meditations, giving birth to Project Coherence. We broadcast our first Project Coherence over Facebook in November 2015, with more than 6,000 people from all over the world joining together online to collectively create a more loving and peaceful world. In our second meditation, more than 36,000 online viewers participated, and in our third global meditation, more than 43,000 joined forces. It is our intention to continue to host these Project Coherence events, each time creating a stronger, radiating influence of peace and love over the planet. In time, 
we hope to measure these effects. Project Coherence Meditation Start by acknowledging your heart center. With focus and awareness, lock into that center. Open your focus and begin to become aware of the space it occupies in space, as well as the space around the space your heart occupies in space. Then move as a thought and an awareness into the center of the earth and radiate your light beyond the earth in space. All I want you to do is raise your frequency and hold on to that emotion. Still as a consciousness and awareness, slowly move away from the earth and then take the earth as a thought and place it in your heart. As you hold the entire planet in your heart, raise the frequency of the earth as a thought and broadcast that energy beyond your body in space. Radiate your love into the earth. Chapter 14 Case Studies It Could Happen to You In this final set of supernatural case studies, please note that none of the people you read about here tried to make anything happen. They simply had an intention and at the same time surrendered the outcome to something greater. When they hit that moment, whether it was a healing or a mystical experience, their personality wasn't creating the experience. Something greater came through them and did it for them. They connected to the unified field, and it was their interaction with this intelligence that moved them in some way. As you know by now, after everything you have read in this book, that intelligence also lives within you. Divine, can you hear me? In 2014, Stacy began experiencing severe headaches. For 25 years, she had worked in healthcare as both a registered nurse and an acupuncturist. She had always maintained a healthy lifestyle and rarely took medications, so the sudden appearance of headaches so excruciating they nearly caused her to black out was alarming. After a year of exploring countless alternative therapies, she finally went to a doctor who ordered a CAT scan. The diagnosis was a meningioma, a benign tumor that wraps around certain nerve tissue in the spinal nerves. Stacy's was sitting on or near her eighth cranial nerve, which began obstructing her acoustic nerve and creating significant changes in her neurological functions. The acoustic nerve has two branches, one for hearing and the other for balance. So, in addition to unrelenting pain and loss of hearing, she was dizzy and nauseated. As the lesion grew, it also began pushing against another cranial nerve that ran along her face and continued down into her shoulder, resulting in a diagnosis of Pitcher's shoulder. 
Soon, she also experienced pain in her eye. According to her physician, the only solution was a craniotomy, which basically entailed drilling a large hole in the back of her head to remove the tumor. Stacy did not want to pursue this path, so she continued exploring other healing modalities. By the time she attended her first weekend workshop in Seattle in 2015, she estimated she had lost 70% of her hearing in her left ear. In the fall of 2016, she attended her first advanced workshop in Cancun, where she felt herself surrender at a whole new level. Then, in the winter of 2017, she attended another advanced workshop in Tampa. Upon arrival on Thursday, she had a very intense earache that became much worse the next day. She said the sensation she felt was that her ear was closing up. By the end of that day, after the blessing of the Energy Center's meditation, her earache curiously ended. Then on Sunday morning, during the pineal gland meditation, Stacy lost track of time and space. I almost felt like I was going to fall off my chair, she said. In that moment, this amazing flash of light consumed the left side of my head. Imagine if you put a thousand diamonds together and shined a light on them. That wouldn't even begin to touch this light. Then, boom! Her body shot upright and a bluish-white light like nothing she had ever seen or experienced, entered her ear. It was the most divine, loving feeling that I've ever had, she reported. I felt like the hand of God was caressing me with grace. It was so powerful and amazing that I struggled to put it into words, but every time I think of it, I still cry. First her sinuses cleared, then the whole left side of her head cleared, and then her left shoulder relaxed and let go. Finally, for the first time in three years, she could hear out of her left ear. I just sat there in awe, laughing and crying as tears flowed down my face, she said. Music was playing, and I could hear it crystal clear. It was as if I could hear the celestial sound of angels singing above the song. I knew that what I was hearing was beyond the normal auditory range. The energy continued to move through the back of the left side of my head, which for years had felt like cement. When I instructed everyone to lie down, relax, and let the autonomic nervous system take the orders, the energy continued to move through Stacy's whole body, down her arms, and into her hands. She began to shake uncontrollably. It was as if I could feel every synapse and muscle in my body firing, in my toes, my legs, my head and my neck and chest. My heart center felt wide open. I just remember thinking, whatever this is, I'm taking the ride. She completely surrendered to the unknown, and once again she lost track of time and space. When that portion of the meditation ended, 
she found herself sitting in her chair with the energy slowing and quieting down. Her thinking brain began to kick in. Even though she could hear, she began to doubt what had just occurred. Perhaps her ear was not totally healed. Perhaps the tumor was still present. Or perhaps she wasn't even worthy of healing. No sooner did she have that thought than the energy and light appeared in front of her. But this energy was different. It was red like the heart and blue like energy, and it was three-dimensional, she remembered. It was about two feet in front of me and was almost slithering like a snake. All this was happening with my eyes closed. It was multi-dimensional, beautiful, crazy, gorgeous, fractal, and it came right up to my face. It was almost as if this energy wanted to say, You have doubts? We'll show you. Then it shot into my heart. My chest opened up. I sat back on the chair, and my arms fell wide open. I knew it was the energy of everything, the energy of chi, of spirit, of the divine, of the universe. Life is different now, she told me. For one, my hearing is at a hundred percent. But it's more than that. It's hard to put into words. But I know that no matter what, I'm going to be okay. Life will never be the same because I know underneath everything, it's spirit who is looking to be heard and healed. Janet Hears You are mine. While Janet occasionally meditated, it was never a regular habit. Yet one afternoon, 25 years ago, during a meditation, she had what she calls a spontaneous experience. With her eyes closed, she was suddenly in the presence of an incredibly bright light, yet the light had a softness that didn't hurt her eyes. She described it as the purest, most intense, perfect love she had ever experienced. For the next twenty-five years, she prayed, meditated, and did everything else she could to try to recreate that transcendental experience. In the spring of 2015, Janet attended an advanced workshop in Carefree, Arizona. She was in a state of deep depression and exhaustion unable to see any solutions to the problems in her life, yet she was determined to have a healing or breakthrough. Above all else, she was excited to be with more than 500 people, united in the belief that they were greater than their physical bodies. For the duration of the workshop, Janet went after the mystical with a level of intensity that was greater than her depression. During the pineal gland meditation, she was sitting in the lotus position and resting her loving intention in the space of her pineal gland. All of a sudden, the gland activated and a brilliant white light coming from inside her head illuminated her pineal gland. It was the same light she had experienced 25 years earlier. The light came into the space of my pineal gland and illuminated 
all of the crystals in that little cave of that tiny gland, she later explained. The light continued to illuminate my entire being down to the cellular level. My spine then straightened, my head went back, and I just embraced it. I just let it all happen. I was simultaneously in ecstasy, bliss, gratitude, and love. Next, an inverted triangle of light came down from above her, through the top of her head. She knew this triangle was the presence of a loving intelligence. The point of the inverted triangle joined the peak of her pineal gland, forming a double geometric shape. The intense frequency of coherent light was carrying a message for Janet. The light kept saying to Janet over and over, You are mine. You are mine. Which she took to mean, I love you more than anything else in the world. Please enter and take charge of my life, Janet responded. And as she surrendered to it, she started to experience a download of information coming through the top of her head in the form of the brilliant light. The light was threaded with strands that looked like luminous cobalt blue pearls. The light moved slowly and descended through her entire body. This energy was the result of a reverse torus field, the field that moves in the opposite direction of the upward field created during the breath. And it was energy from the unified field, from beyond the visible light spectrum and beyond our senses. The inner experience was so real that it rewired her brain and sent a new emotional energetic signal to her body, and in an instant her past was washed away. The download of the frequency of coherence and wholeness gave her body a biological upgrade. By the time she left the workshop, her depression and her exhaustion were completely gone. This ecstatic experience, she insisted, has changed my life forever. Connected Beyond Time and Space by Love During a Project Coherence Meditation broadcast from Lake Garda, Italy, participants from all over the world joined us in the belief that we are more than just matter, bodies and particles, and that consciousness influences matter and the world. During the meditation, Sasha was in New Jersey visualizing bringing the earth into her heart. When we went to the heart, I felt all these shoots and leaves growing from my heart center and through my body, she told me. There were branches, leaves and blossoms coming out of my arms, fingers and ears, as well as white blossoms all over my face. I had literally become the surface of the earth garden. As soon as the meditation was over, Sasha looked down at her phone and saw that her best friend, Heather, had sent her a picture from Ireland. While we had been doing the meditation, Heather had been walking through a garden. She happened to look down and saw moss growing on a rock in the shape of a heart. Heather took a picture of the moss with her phone and sent it to Sasha with a note that says, 
saw this and had the overwhelming feeling of your presence. Love you. Donna helps souls cross over. When Donna attended her first weekend workshop in 2014 in Long Beach, California, she never would have called herself a meditator. She'd only meditated a handful of times before. A technical writer, she had a very analytical mind. But that's the beauty of this work. When you have no expectations, you are often more open to wherever the experience takes you. So she was totally taken by surprise when at some point during one of her meditations that weekend, she slipped out of her everyday consciousness and found herself surrounded by hundreds of interdimensional beings. They weren't angry or malevolent, she told me, but it was very clear to me that they wanted something from me. Some of them were fairly young, like 12 or 13. I knew immediately that they were the people my fiancé had killed. Donna was engaged to a former United States Army Ranger, and during his service in Iraq, he had been a sniper. When Donna returned home from the workshop and told her fiancé about her experience, he confirmed that some of the people he killed to protect his fellow soldiers were quite young. While she found the connection curious and fascinating, she didn't know what to do with the information, but there was no question in her mind that the experience was real because it was beyond anything she could have simply conjured. Two years later, Donna was at an advanced workshop in Carefree, Arizona. After completing the first meditation, she turned to a friend sitting next to her and said in a daze, without even being aware of what she was saying, There are beings in this room and they are here to help us. Early Sunday morning for the pineal gland meditation, Donna was slated to have her brain scanned. Once again, at some point during the meditation, Donna found herself suddenly in the company of the same interdimensional beings who had surrounded her during her first workshop two years earlier. But this time they were standing in a line off to her right. Again, I felt like they wanted something from me, but I didn't know what it was, she said. Then, in my mind's eye, as though I was looking through a virtual reality headset, I saw another line forming on my left. There were two types of beings in this line. One type looked human-like, but they were very large and had a shimmering golden look, and the other type seemed to have a blue hue to them. She innately knew that if she took the people who were killed by her fiancé in the war, who were lined up on the right, and gave them to the beings on the left, the people on the right would receive what they needed. Because the people who had been killed by sniper fire had died so suddenly without any warning, some were confused about whether they were alive or dead. Some weren't sure where to go or what to do, while others were trying to stay in this dimension because they were attached to their loved ones and couldn't move on. They were stuck in between matter and light, yet somehow they recognized that Donna was the bridge or the facilitator who could help them cross over. 
and it was all happening in a very real, very lucid experience. To say I handed them over to the other beings is not quite right, she explained, but it was something like me passing them over. It's really beyond language, but when they passed to the other side, it seemed like they passed through the other beings, and then I could see them running across a field of waist-high red mist. I could feel all the freedom, joy, and happiness they were experiencing as they ran across this field. Again, as if looking through a virtual reality headset, Donna turned to the right in her mind's eye and saw a winding dirt road filled with people stretching far into the distance. She sensed they were from Bosnia and Serbia, which she couldn't quite make sense of. It felt almost as if the word got out. I didn't have the sense that they were unaware they were dead. It was more like they were stuck in limbo. They didn't know how to get to the other side. This was the longest meditation of the workshop, perhaps two to three hours. But to Donna, it seemed like it was ten minutes. Donna attended another advanced workshop in Cancun in the fall of 2016. This time, when I asked the students to surrender their consciousness to merge with the consciousness of the unified field, Donna had the experience of becoming the universe. She went from the consciousness of somebody, something, someone, somewhere, in some time, to the consciousness of nobody, no thing, no one, nowhere, in no time, to the consciousness of everybody, everything, everyone, everywhere, in every time. In the instant her consciousness connected with the unified field, the field of information that governs the laws and forces of the universe, she became the universe. She was in bliss. Since that experience, my life has become magical and I'm experiencing a new energy and vitality like never before, she reported later. I keep having one powerful experience after another, and I can never go back to the way my life was before starting to practice this work. Jerry returns from the brink of death. On August 14, 2015, Jerry was putting a project together on his back deck. As he was reading the directions, he felt a sudden, sharp pain right below his sternum. He thought perhaps it was gas, so he took some medication, but it didn't go away. Instead, he lay down to rest and it got worse. By the time he tried to get up, he started losing his ability to stand and thought he might pass out. As the pain became more intense and his breathing grew shorter, he called an ambulance. With all his might, he dragged himself about 15 feet outside to the driveway so the paramedics wouldn't have to kick in his door. Kneeling on the driveway, he collapsed waiting for the emergency medical technicians. When they arrived, they assumed he was having a heart attack and immediately began to follow that protocol. 
You guys don't understand. I'm having a really hard time breathing, he told them. We have to get to the hospital right away. Jerry knew what he was talking about. He'd worked for 34 years as a medical technician in the very emergency room where they were about to take him. Jerry knew everyone in the ER, and once he arrived, doctors, nurses, technicians, and specialists began frantically running lab work on him. When a doctor who was also Jerry's friend told Jerry that red flags had come up in every test administered, Jerry knew things were not looking good. One test in particular was particularly alarming: his levels of protease, amylase, and lipase. Enzymes produced by the pancreas were 4,000 to 5,000 units per liter, way above the norm of about 100 to 200. They put Jerry in the intensive care unit. The pain soon worsened, and none of the drugs they were giving me worked. Jerry said, "They told me that a duct to my gallbladder had been blocked, and it was causing trouble in my pancreas." Worst of all, fluid started to develop in my lungs. I was now down to eighty percent breathing capacity in both lungs. That's when the doctors put me on a ventilator, and I knew things were bad. The doctor then asked his team to turn on the TV to Boston, allowing the doctor to have an immediate teleconference with other doctors in a larger hospital in the nearest big city. In all the time I'd worked at the hospital, I'd only seen the TV to Boston come on a few times for the most serious of traumas, or for people who are dying. Jerry said, "It means they have no idea what is happening. When a doctor you have trusted for years tells you they don't know what's going on, well, that's when my stress hormones started to kick into high gear." While all of this was happening, the medical staff told Jerry's wife that if there was any end-of-life paperwork she needed to get in order, now would be the time to go home and get it. She left sobbing. Jerry soon realized he needed to start taking care of himself. He knew that if he allowed the stress hormones to start taking over, he was not going to win. I went from being a guy who hadn't been sick in years, who did yoga all the time and ate well, to all of a sudden being in the ICU. I kept telling myself, "I can't go down this road. I can't give in to the fear." So I didn't. Since he'd recently read my book, "You Are the Placebo," he started thinking, "I got to change these thought patterns." I can't allow these thoughts to make more cortisol to get into the body and start doing more damage to what's left of me. The doctors eventually found out that Jerry had a large mass blocking a duct in his pancreas. The mass was not letting the mucus drain, so everything in the gland was backing up and spilling over into his bloodstream. My doctors stayed with me for three days straight. He says, "They put an oxygen mask on me because I couldn't breathe. I had IVs on both sides, and meanwhile, I kept thinking, 'Watch your thoughts, relax, 
put something into the quantum field that's going to help you and not hurt you because you're already knocking on the door. I'm going to be okay. This too shall pass. I'm going to be all right. Whenever he was conscious, Jerry placed his energy on overcoming himself, changing his state of being and creating a different outcome, constantly tuning in to a different potential in the unified field. Fortunately, he had a private room, giving him plenty of opportunity to do his meditations whenever he wanted to. Jerry spent a week in the ICU, and by the end of that time, when he moved to a progressive care unit, the oxygen mask was gone and Jerry was walking around. Even so, he could not eat or drink anything for nine weeks. If he ate anything or even had water, his pancreas would release acid into his body, eventually killing him. The only nourishment he received was through an IV. When Jerry was admitted to the hospital, he weighed 145 pounds. When he was discharged, he weighed 119. When he finally went home, still with an IV pole, he continued to do the work. As October drew near, the mass was still present. His doctors suggested he see a specialist in Boston to undergo surgery. Because Jerry was a medical professional, two days before the surgery, he suggested his medical team take some more tests and scans so the doctors would have the most up-to-date information. I know all the X-ray technicians, and yet when they told me I no longer had a mass, I didn't believe them. I called in the radiologists and the doctors. They just kept saying, Jerry, we're looking at your film right now. We're telling you there's nothing there. I'm calling the guys in Boston to tell them there will be no surgery. Jerry later realized that by constantly raising his energy, moving into a feeling of health, and changing the thoughts and beliefs that he was sick to the thoughts and beliefs he was going to be fine, the higher frequency caused him to heal. I wasn't going to allow myself to think, woe is me, this is going to be bad. I kept working on this every day, for as much of the day as I could. I put the right message, intention, and energy out into the quantum field to heal myself, and eventually, I did. Afterward being peace. What I hope you take away from this book is that it's not enough to change your state of being only when you meditate. It's not sufficient to just think and feel peace with your eyes closed and then open them and carry on throughout the day in limited unconscious states of mind and body. In many of the peace-gathering projects and studies mentioned in chapter 13, when the experiments concluded, very often the reduced violence and crime returned to their former baseline levels. This means that we actually have to demonstrate peace, which requires us to get our bodies involved, and that means we have to move from thinking to doing. Every time we change our state of being and begin our day by opening our hearts to the elevated states that connect us to a love for life, a joy for existence, 
the inspiration to be alive, a state of gratitude that our future has already happened, and a level of kindness toward others, we must carry, maintain, and demonstrate that energy and state of being throughout the day, whether we are sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. Then when upsetting events occur in our lives or in the world, if we demonstrate peace rather than unconsciously act in predictable, so-called natural reactionary ways, expressing anger, frustration, violence, fear, suffering or aggression, we are no longer contributing to the world's old consciousness. By breaking that cycle and demonstrating peace by example, we give others permission to do the same. Because knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body, when we move from thinking to doing and experience the corresponding emotions of peace and inner balance, the moment we begin to embody peace is when we really begin to change the program. By tempering those reactive behaviors and thus no longer creating the same redundant experiences and emotions, we no longer fire and wire the same circuits in the brain. This is how we cease conditioning the body to live in the self-limiting emotions of the mind, and this is how we change ourselves and our relationship to the world around us. Every time we do this, we are literally teaching our body to chemically understand what our mind has intellectually understood. This is how we select and instruct the latent genes that cause us to thrive, not just survive. Now peace is within us, and we are knocking on the genetic door to biologically become exactly that. Isn't that what every great charismatic leader, saint, mystic, and master throughout history has continually preached? Of course it's going to feel unnatural in the beginning to go against years of automatic conditioning, unconscious habits, reflexive emotional reactions, hardwired attitudes, and generations of genetic programming, but that is exactly how we become supernatural. To do what feels unnatural means going against how we have all been genetically programmed or socially conditioned to live when we are threatened in some way. I'm sure any creature that is broken from the consciousness of the tribe, the pack, the school, or the herd, in order to adapt to a changing environment, must have felt the discomfort and uncertainty of the unknown. But let's not forget that living in the unknown means that we are in the realm of possibility. The real challenge is not to return to the level of mediocrity that the prevailing social consciousness agrees on merely because we don't see anyone else doing what we are doing. True leadership never needs confirmation from others. It just requires a clear vision and a change in energy, that is, a new state of being, that is sustained for a long enough period of time and executed with a strong enough will that it causes others to raise their own energy and become inspired to do the same. 
once they do raise themselves from their own limited state of being to a new energy, they see the same future that their leader sees. There is power in numbers. After all my years of teaching people about personal transformation, I know no one changes until they change their energy. In fact, when someone is truly engaged in change, they are less likely to talk about it and more prone to demonstrate it. They are working on living it. This requires awareness, intent, staying present and constant attention to their inner states. Perhaps the biggest hurdle is not only being uncomfortable, but also being okay with being uncomfortable, because discomfort is our challenge to grow. It makes us feel more alive. After all, if stress and the survival response are the result of not being able to predict our future, thinking or believing that we are unable to control an outcome or that things are going to get worse, then opening our minds and hearts to believe in possibility requires going against thousands of years of genetically hardwired survival traits. We must lay down the very thing that we have always used to get what we want for something much better to occur. To me, that's true greatness. If we can do it once, disturb those neural networks equated with anger, resentment and retribution, and instead activate the neural networks related to experiences of caring, giving and nurturing, and so create the corresponding emotions, then we should be able to do it again, and the repetition of these choices will neurochemically condition our mind and body to become one. When the body knows how to do this, as well as the mind, it becomes innate, familiar, easy and second nature. Then thinking and demonstrating peace, which once required focused awareness, becomes a subconscious program. Now we've created a new, automatic peaceful state of being, and again, that means that now peace is within us. This is how we memorize a new internal neurochemical order that's greater than any conditions in our external environment. Now we're not just being peace, but mastering it, as well as mastering ourselves and our environment. Once enough of us can achieve this state of being, once everybody is locked into the same energy, frequency and elevated consciousness, just like schools of fish or flocks of birds moving as one in a unified order, we'll begin to act as one mind and emerge as a new species. But if we continue to act as a cancerous organism at war with itself, our species will not survive, and evolution will continue its grand experiment. Take time out of your busy life to invest in yourself, because when you do, you are investing in your future. If your familiar environment is controlling how you think and feel, it's time to retreat from your life and go inward so you can reverse the process of being a victim of life and instead become a creator of it. After reading this book, 
By now you know that it's possible to change yourself from within and that when you do, it will be reflected in your outer world. This is a time in history when it's not enough to simply know. This is a time to know how. According to the philosophical understanding and scientific principles of quantum physics, neuroscience and epigenetics, we now understand that our subjective mind influences the objective world. Because mind influences matter, we are compelled to study the nature of mind. Our understanding then allows us to assign meaning to what we're doing. If knowledge is the precursor to experience, then the more knowledge we have about how powerful we are, as well as understanding the science behind how things work, the more we can understand the limitlessness of our potential, both as individuals and as a collective. Because we are constantly deepening and broadening our understanding of the interconnectedness of all living systems, and because each of us is a contributor to the Earth's field, I believe we can collectively create and guide a new, peaceful and prosperous future upon this planet. It all begins by making a habit of practicing leading with our hearts, raising our energy and tuning in to greater information and frequencies of love and wholeness. With effort and intention, we should begin to produce a coherent electromagnetic signature just like dropping pebbles in a still lake over and over, as we continue to raise our energy and open our hearts, we're producing bigger and bigger electromagnetic fields. This energy is information, and we each have the power to direct our energy with intention to produce non-local effects on the nature of reality. When we direct our energy as an observer, a consciousness, or a thought, we can begin to affect a downward causation of matter. In other words, we can literally make our minds matter. When we practice these concepts on a consistent basis, changing our levels of energy from survival states to greater levels of awareness, compassion, love, gratitude, and other elevated emotions, these coherent electromagnetic signatures in train to one another. The effect should then be that we can unify communities that were once separated by the belief that we are just matter. Once we transition our state of being from survival into love, gratitude and creation, then instead of reacting to violence, terrorism, fear, prejudice, competition, selfishness and separation, which, by the way, the media, commercials, video games, and all types of stimulation are constantly reminding and programming us to live within, we can come together during crisis. We will have no further need for splintering, assigning blame, or seeking revenge. Every time we meditate as a global community, we're casting a larger, stronger, coherent wave of love and altruism around the world. If we do this enough times, we should be able to not only measure the changes in energy and frequency around the world,
but measure our efforts by the positive changes in the events that take place in our future. To stand up for justice and peace, then, you must first find peace within yourself. You must then demonstrate peace to others, which means you can't make a stand for peace or be peace while you're warring with your neighbor, hating your co-worker or judging your boss. If everybody, and I mean everybody, chose peace, and if we came together at the exact same time, imagine the type of positive change we could create in our collective future. There would be no conflict. What's equally powerful is that when we are the living embodiment of peace, we show up as unpredictable to others, and then they pay attention. Thanks to mirror neurons, a special class of brain cells that fire when we see someone perform an action, we are biologically wired to mimic each other's behavior. Modeling peace, justice, love, kindness, care, understanding, and compassion allows others to open their hearts and move from fearful, aggressive states of survival to feeling wholeness and connectedness. Think what would happen if we all understood how interconnected we were to one another and to the field, rather than feeling separated and isolated. We might actually begin to take responsibility for our thoughts and emotions because we would finally understand our state of being affects all of life. This is how we begin to change the world, by first changing ourselves. The future of humanity does not rest on one person, leader, or messiah with a greater consciousness to show us the way. Rather, it requires the evolution of a new collective consciousness because it is through the acknowledgement and application of the interconnectedness of human consciousness that we can change the course of history. While it appears old structures and paradigms are collapsing, we should not face this with fear, anger or sadness, because this is the process by which evolution and new things occur. Instead, we should face the future with a whole new light, energy and consciousness. As I have mentioned, the old has to fall apart and fall away before something new flourishes. Integral to this process is not squandering our energy by emotionally reacting to leaders or people in power. When they capture our emotions, they capture our attention, and thus they have captured our energy. This is how people gain power over us. Instead, we must make a stand for principles, values, and moral imperatives like freedom, justice, truth, and equality. When we achieve this through the power of the collective, we will unite behind the energy of oneness rather than be controlled by the idea of separation. This is when standing up for truth is no longer personal, but through unifying and building community, becomes universal. I believe we are on the verge of a great evolutionary jump. Another way to say it is that we are going through an initiation. After all, isn't an initiation a rite of passage from one level of consciousness to another, 
and isn't it designed to challenge the fabric of who we are so we can grow to a greater potential? Maybe when we see, remember and awaken to who we truly are, human beings can move as a collective consciousness from a state of surviving into a state of thriving. It's then that we can emerge into our true nature and fully access our innate capacity as human beings, which is to give, to love, to serve, and to take care of one another and the earth. So why not ask yourself every day, what would love do? This is who we really are, and this is the future I'm creating, one in which each and every one of us becomes supernatural. Thank you for listening. For more information about Dr. Joe Dispenza's workshops, meditations and products, please visit drjoedispenza.com. Becoming Supernatural How Common People Are Doing the Uncommon By New York Times best-selling author Dr. Joe Dispenza Read by Adam Boyce Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.